and welcome to the Money Marketing Podcast. I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and I'm joined again by our wonderful editorial team. Um, so before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, the June issue and uh, get a preview of July, August, um, I want you guys to introduce yourselves. I'm sure everyone knows you guys, but go ahead. Uh, Mike, news, news editor. Maria, features editor. I'm Lois, Chief Reporter. I'm Manuel Santoria, Senior Reporter. I'm Darius, Investment Reporter. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me again, guys. Um, so June was quite a good month. Um, and I think we talked a little bit briefly about, you know, the cover issue and everything. So um, shall we get started with a more in-depth um, intro into what we covered in June. Um, so, Mamadou, if you want to go first, what did you cover in June? Well, yeah, thank you very much, um, Kim. Yeah, um, I did the, I mean, June cover issue. Yes. And that was yeah. on long, long COVID. Um, it was very last, interesting. Yeah, it was. Oh, thank you very much. And, and the last um, podcast, yeah, um, we gave a kind of like a sneak peek. Of... Mm -hmm. I think we went into far too much detail. I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> no, I think it's just because it was such an interesting topic. I actually kept asking you more and more questions. And kind of yeah. you were like, well, if I refer back to my article that I just wrote, um, because you had so many references from that, that was my bad. I'm sorry, but it no, was just no, such no, an no, interesting right. topic. Um, no, no, so, yeah. I think that was, and as uh, Luis, you know, I mean, has rightly pointed out, you know, I think we went into this, so I don't know whether this will be a repetition of what we, <laughs> I mean, said previously, you know. Yeah. But, but yeah, um, it, but it was a very good piece, and um, um, it's um, kind of like uh, focuses on, on on people who suffers, you know, from long COVID, mm -hmm. and and the challenges they face, um, um, trying to uh, make a claim, you know, for their for their conditions. You know? So. Um, the source of the article was um, from a long COVID sufferer called um, Nick Mitchell. You know, you know she um, was um, part of the sector, um, the financial service sector, and uh, in 2019, mm -hmm. she was diagnosed, you know, with COVID. So she was one of the early, you know, people who kind of like um, contracted um, the, I mean, the was it the virus? Mm -hmm. Should we say a virus or? Yeah, it was a virus. Yes, yes, in December 2019, you know, and she's been suffering, you know, ever since, you know. And it's yeah. crazy to think like now we're in 2023 and she's still feeling the effects. It, it, I couldn't exactly. imagine. Exactly, exactly. You know, and she's one of two million people, you know. So that's a that's a large number of the UK population. I think it's three percent mm. of the UK mm. population that kind of like um suffer, you know, from this long-term illness. Mm. And they're out of work, you know. So I was basically trying to um, um, get as much information, you know, I mean, as possible uh, concerning, you know, her claims and her conditions. And then I spoke to, um, you know, people in the sector, you know, insurers, medical doctors. But with um, with long COVID, since um, it's a new condition, it's it's very difficult to kind of pin down. You know, mm. it's like a moving target. It's, yeah, it seems like a moving target. And then um, there is no um, consensus yet, you know, I mean, with the medical 
you know, sector, whether to call it a condition, whether to call it a health, you know, issue. So I think that's that's the challenge, you know, for people trying to make a claim, you know. And 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 uh, and the only um, way they can they can make claim for somebody with I mean with a CI policy you know, because she didn't have you know IP which is in income protection you know policy if she had if she had had income protection policy that would have been easy they would just pay mm. but because she was trying to claim on a CI policy which is critical illness mm. it's yeah it's very difficult you know that's a very high bar you, I mean to 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 kind of like um you know face I mean she has to prove that she was permanently disabled you know and that's very difficult to to kind of prove you know so um when yeah. she made a claim, when she made a claim with Aviva I mean I mean I mean her claim was I mean declined you know? because mm. uh because the insurer was saying she could not prove you know that she was totally and permanently disabled you know? yeah and I guess that is like one of those things where unfortunately she has to wait Exactly. But, yeah, um, exactly. And, and that's yeah, and that's what the insurance is basically saying, you know, because they haven't got the data yet. I mean, to prove that this is a permanent uh, condition, you know. Mm. Even though she had all this all this awful, you know, conditions, you know, you know, like fatigue, brain fog, you know, you know, kidney issue, you know, lungs issue and other stuff, you know. But it's uh, very difficult to say, I mean, all those conditions, you know, I mean, in total, you know, um, can be considered as I mean permanent disability, you know. So I know, I know. So weird. <laughs> I, know. I, I just find it bizarre to me because if she's having like kidney issues and um fatigue and it's been going on for a prolonged amount of time, doesn't that constitute but that's the point with the, with, the, with the TPD, you know, and that's what I mean. We are even trying to um, um, campaign with money marketing and and, and the sector. Uh, I mean, to see whether they can review, because with TPD, um, you know, total yeah, the TPD means total permanent disability, mm-hmm. and and the assessment, but it's not based on any medical condition. The assessment is, I mean, it's based on you you proving, you know, with with the medical evidence beyond beyond doubt that you are disabled. You are totally permanently disabled. You know. And that's wow. very uh, and that's very hard, you know. That's very hard to prove, you know. And it's yeah. and and as the doctor said, it's it's very hard to find a doctor that will tell you that this condition is totally and permanent disability, except kind of like a neuro, I mean, I mean, urological, you know, conditions, you know. Those mm. ones, yeah, doctors can 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 say like somebody had it. I mean, a spine. They have brain damage. Yeah, exactly, brain spinal damage. Spinal injury. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know? Yeah. And then the and then the then the then the challenge for her because she's she's also very vocal online. You know, she, I mean, she writes and all the stuff and, and yes. comments. You know, and uh, and and they said based on her, you know, activities online, you know, she can still do her job. You know, as a as a former peer, you know, because she. What was it from a PR, you know, executive, you know, so. Right. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's. it's but what about, they're not taking into account the brain fog, the days of crippling anxiety and depression uh, she might be facing. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Especially, that massively affects writing ability. It's not yeah. just sort of physically yeah. laborious jobs that are affected. It definitely affects writing, that sort of. But I think I mean, people uh, still have that mentality where if you have like an office job or something, like a job that just requires you to be on a laptop, they're like, you can do that. Like, that's <laughs> not that's not difficult work. Yeah, you can still true. do that regardless of your disability, which I think as much as we've like um, I'm in strides in terms of like mental health awareness, I still think that there's people that will be like, 
you can fight through it. Exactly. And that's a good point. And that's the point. I mean, she was also very angry. I mean, for them to say just because she's active online, you know, she can do her job when she's when she active spent... online campaigning for her. Course. Exactly. Like... And, and and she said she spent almost half a day, you know, I mean, in bed, you know, because of the pain, you know, she's going mm. through, you know, and all the medication. I mean, she has to take, you know. So, 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 yeah. Um... I feel I feel for her, and I really do hope there is a result. Does she still pay? Like, I'm just curious. Does she still pay into? Like, if you've tried to make a claim and they've refused you, do you still pay into your? Yes, yeah, she, yeah, she, yeah. She still keep the policy, you know. Yeah, she still, yeah, because she's. I mean, she. I mean, she took the policy in 1994, you know. Okay. Yeah, so it's, I mean, but it's a long time ago. She took the policy, you know. So is that, that not was, also bad PR for what is already bad PR in the insurance industry as people who don't want to pay out? And they're always like, yeah, yeah. but we w- love paying out. We always want to pay out. Uh, no, well, 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 based on my, my experience with her and, and other people, you, you know, I, I mean, I did a weekend essay saying this sector, you know, has a claims problem, mm. you know, and, and, and. There was so much um, conversation based on that on that piece where people are, where people kind of like I mean share their experience, you know, yeah. with, with with the sector that the claims I mean the claims handling process is I mean it's awful you know it's it's terrible you know I mean what yeah. people are, what people have to go through and then the delay ahead. people have to wait for a long time you know just to just to get their claims you know paid you know so I think They're yeah jumping uh, through so many hoops and yeah, yeah, yeah tell yeah, you yeah. like you need this protection imagine if this happens to you and then to think about and that's why people are so skeptical about actually getting it because they're like will I get the money if the worst outcome does happen exactly and and that's the point I raised you know on my I mean we can say you know I mean because many people are saying I mean this insurers I mean I, I, they're kind of seen like I mean kind of like uncaring mm. and very greedy you know kind of like um I mean for new business it's it's very fast you know I mean when you want to you know um, buy a new insurance it's quick the process is, is easy but when you want to claim mm. it takes forever <laughs> it's slow you know and it's difficult, you know, so, and that's something I think we want to campaign on, you know, money marketing, because I spoke to, I mean, Kevin Carr, you know, about that, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. Ke- Ke- Kevin Carr seems to be kind of like the unofficial spokesman, you know, for, <laughs> for the sector, you know, you know, so, yeah, you know, yeah we the had bridge. a Yeah, exactly. So we had a chat there, something, you know, um, you know, has to be done. Yeah. You know, you had definitely. to make the claims, yeah, make claims process, um, I mean, at least faster, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I hope we have a follow up on this and there's more positive news, but we have delved into that quite a lot um, again. Um, so I'm going to move on to uh, Maria. So um, can you tell me a bit about what you covered in June? Uh, well, I wrote a leader last month that went in the month. And yeah, it was basically... Um, uh sort of something caught my eye from a few months ago and um, we've got a piece in our financial advisor to be section uh, we have a diary of an aspiring, aspiring advisor column um, mm-hmm. and basically yeah diary that follows financial advisors on their path to qualification um and it was actually it was a bit of a shocker when I read it because I'd been reading her journey so far and she was so positive and enthusiastic and um yeah I just lo- loved reading her story and then suddenly this one was about her pulling back from uh training to be an advisor and why she was quitting she was actually quitting um and so I was really interested to read 
actually I'll, I'll tell you a quote from it um, mm-hmm. as a self-employed IFA I felt pressure to put myself in front of groups with more disposable income than I had pushing product sales and basically helping the rich to get richer mm-hmm. I thought that was just really bold and brave comments to come out with um and yeah I just thought it was really sad that we were losing or advice was losing someone like her who was who, who had so much enthusiasm and passion and you know it sounded like she was going to be an excellent financial advisor but she just couldn't get past this this sales pressure and yeah. actually I was surprised because I thought that was I don't know if it was naive of me to think so but I thought that was a thing of the past and um, I thought we were kind of overcoming that sales pressure and um, so to hear to hear that it was still rife and actually putting people off and um, I thought I'd look into it further so I spoke to a few other young advisors um thankfully they they didn't really have the same experience uh, and I think it mainly came down to just the company that you were with um but I think that does come down to luck and I think um they were just lucky that they ended up at companies that don't have kind of culture um mm. because funnily enough since the piece was published I've had a few people get in touch saying that their experience had been the same mm. and basically my conclusion was as a young you know want to be advisor how are you to know what's right or wrong when you're looking at companies to take you on in those early stages it's hard enough to find a placement or a role that will enable you to train as well Mm -hmm. so how do you know what's right and wrong in terms of culture um so yeah basically my conclusion was we can't afford to lose any more recruits yeah we've really got to address this toxic culture because we need this fresh blood in the industry so much and so yeah it's concerning that that that's what's happening it is quite sad um that someone would pull back because it their role wasn't as advertised but I feel like that does happen probably in like loads of different professions where you go in thinking you're going to be doing one thing and then you might be bogged down by paperwork or whatever it it might be or you might be able to push more products than you when you thought you'd be speaking to clients and helping them more and that's 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 terrible I I hope Mm -hmm. like the business that she was with reevaluates the way they do things yeah, I think there was, which I could have looked into further as well, but the, the word count didn't really permit it. But I think there was also a case for how she mentioned she was self-employed. Um, mm. And that came out with other people I spoke to. And I think advisors join businesses on self, like more and more now, I think it's happening that that you, you join or that you you become self-employed within this wider business structure. Um, okay. So you're responsible for your business and you're responsible for your Missions isn't the right word, but you know your your income, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe there is higher pressure there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, even you know, having having written for this industry for for over a decade now, I think I was just I was really su- surprised to hear that that was the case. So I'd have gone into the industry not thinking that I'd have sales pressure you know that would have been a real big surprise to me so um yeah it was just it was interesting and um I'm sure there's lots more to come from it maybe maybe I'll follow up at some point but um yeah interesting to hit to see that I've had people come to me since saying that this was their experience as well I don't know maybe I'm just really naive maybe everyone knows it <laughs> no I I wouldn't have thought I that's when I speak to when I've spoken to some advisors they never really tell me that that's an aspect of their job right they're talking about so much about 
their clients and what they're doing for their clients, but they're never like sell, sell, sell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I thought I thought that was a thing of the past as well, definitely. From from what yeah. I've sort of and uh, like conferences as well, they speak about how that's a thing of the past, don't they? Well, regulation wise, I guess it is. You know, commissions commissions being gotten rid of pretty much. Um, yeah, you know, I think the FCA are really clamping down on that side of things or, or, or want to be seen to be clamping down on that side of things. Um, but yeah. And I wonder with firms like that, how they'll be able to work around if, if their whole thing is like sell, 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 how they'll be able to work around the implementation of consumer duty when it comes to that. Which is this month. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is. <laughs> Good point, Kim. Exciting. So exciting. I've never been so excited in my entire life. You can really tell from my voice. <laughs> yeah. It's, what, uh, you, what you're saying, Lois, that's not very consumer duty. You're not very consumer duty of you. It's not really mine. I didn't coin it. It's like a meme that's a meme. going around Twitter. Uh, just take just it, Lois. <laughs> take the credit. Um, put your name on it. <laughs> um, so Lois, what about you? What did you cover in June? Um, so I wrote the MM Meets interview with Tracy Vegro from CISI, not CS, not CSI. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chartered Institute for Securities and Investment. There you go. Okay. <laughs> um, so she became CEO about six months before I interviewed her, which must have been back in March. Um, and then I wrote up the interview for the June issue. And she had a lot of really interesting things to say. So she's been, I think when I spoke to her, she was saying she'd sort of completed the set in a way by joining CISI because she worked for government in Whitehall. Um, mm -hmm. And then she worked at a regulator, the law regulator. Um, and now she's gone into a professional body. So she's kind of brought her experience from policy and regulation into CISI, which is quite interesting. And she was giving insights on all my favorite things, diversity, ESG, and yeah, she said it was very interesting. You should go and read it. Yeah. I think I, I said quite a lot about it last episode as well, episode of the yeah. podcast yeah. as well. But um yeah, no, she was saying some interesting things like that COP28, do you know COP Conference of the mm -hmm. Parties coming up in November? It's going to be in Dubai. And okay. she was saying that's a huge opportunity because obviously ESG and responsible investing is massively rising up the agenda and advisors are really having to get to grips with it because the FCA is pushing it a lot to try and cut out greenwashing there, launching these sustainability labels. So it's something that advisors are really going to have to be on top of. And quite a lot of the, certainly the older, like the sort of older guard advisors are saying, well, my clients never ask about ESG, so I don't really see why it's of interest to me but um that yeah they should be sort of but you're the advisor so you should exactly be they should be flying up with their clients rather than waiting for them to ask about esg because most clients aren't going to say yeah i'm really interested in esg because lots of lay people have, don't even know what esg is but exactly a lot of people are very interested in the climate and social issues and governance issues so yeah no, it was an interesting one I find it um, interesting that um, COP28 will be in um, Dubai. I don't know. Just <laughs> it, yeah. it just feels it is. like, like <laughs> just those two made all their money from oil. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. 
I know. Um, how many of those deals will be like, yeah, okay, you can do what you want, but just don't look at my business and my company and what we're doing. Yeah, it will be an interesting one. I think they're using, so they had a big conference in Dubai last year or the year before, and they're using the same venue for COP. So I really want to go. Mike, can I go and cover it for Money Marketing? <laughs> Uh, Actually, yeah, that's, yeah, a nice that's a nice venue. <laughs> it depends on the time of year. I do not want to go when it is forty degrees, but I will November, go November. any other time. I think it'll be. I think it'll be all right. November. Yeah, okay. I'm, sure, I'm sure they have very state of the art air conditioning there, though. So they do, but you that literally means you can't leave indoors. You have to be indoors the whole time. It's unbearable to be outside. Forty right. degrees is too much. Yeah, yeah. I like a, a nice twenty-five. Heat. Twenty-five degrees. That's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, I enjoyed interviewing Tracy. We um went up to Sky Garden. Oh, and yes. looked out over the city. That's nice. And then yeah. had our had our photo shoot there before it's the interview. Very, it was very nice. It's very nice. <laughs> um okay cool um so what about you darius what did you cover in june that you want to shout out uh with the magazine um mark and i we wrote up uh mmi leads um and uh yeah, oh my god cool. it feels like such a long time ago there we go. It, <laughs> it's only it, like a month yeah. and a half ago I I agree. It does feel a lot longer than that, but yeah. That, and my that, birthday. Yeah, so, and my birthday. It was oh, cool. your birthday. <laughs> you could not forget. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Uh. Was Billy Burrows announced that didn't he, Lois, on the day before? Yeah, he, was, he uh, did. So, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna love him um, forever for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there we go. Yeah. Um. But yeah. No. That's what. Um. For the magazine, that's what. Uh. uh Mike and I. Um. What? Well, uh, Mike and I worked together on that. Yeah. Um. And obviously. Uh, uh, a lot of topics were raised during that day. Um, I think um, um, sort of a senior advisor from FCA, Dr. Lisa Lisa Lovedell, um, mm-hmm. just towards the end of the day. But I thought it was an interesting talk. And also one thing she said that you know, definitely stuck out to me. I wrote about it, but it stuck out to me anyway, is that she was not the FCA, but in a personal capacity. she's um, She was suing Meta or formerly mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, because obviously she's talking about big tech, so that sort of came into her, her talk as well. But you know, one point she made is that you know the FCA doesn't actually regulate big tech firms, so you know they, they don't have to follow FCA rules that come under its purview as such. So yeah, she did want to clarify that, but then she also was talking about the explosion of AI and saying that um, it like the, you, the company use of AI is more than doubled from like thirty to seventy percent, um, and a lot of it is. Um, uh, chatbots, but you know, AI definitely is you know, you know a driving trend within uh, companies at the moment. So yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting to to uh, uh, hear from her. And obviously, as we just mentioned, you know, Billy Barrows uh, spoke um, uh, dubbed the father of annuities, but obviously, yeah, he spoke about annuities as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was interesting. How they make a bit of a comeback because he said, you know, during Brexit and the pandemic, um, yeah, it didn't really help the annuity market, but now it's starting to sort of uh, uh, on its way back, claw back. He said, "Yeah." And there's uh, one good thing about uh, one thing. One good thing about me for is there's no investment risk, uh, and many uh, clients uh, like annuities as um, it gives them peace of mind and security. So yeah, um, was it Rory Album from Lintus, financial manager? Yes. Uh, planning to back cash flow planning. Yeah, um, and sort of the emotional side of advisors. Um, uh, 
<clears throat> and he said, um, you know, cash flow plan is meant to, you know, help advisors not go supersede them. And he said, um, you know, as an advisor, he sort of provides the uh, emotional side of things as well. And mm-hmm. that, you know, talk about AI and, you know, all this, you know, fear of a replacement. I said, you know, for example, Google can't replace advisors on occasion when a client wants to know if it's a good time to invest in a sort of a niche area, like so uh, VCTs or Venture Capital Trust, sorry. And so this is when an advisor comes vital because that's when you have to, like, you know, talk to someone and get their opinion on, you know, is it a good time? The, the economic climate is now, you know, should I be looking into this? So, yeah. So you said that's when they'll ever be replaced. Like as much as we talk about like AI replacing people, I think at the end of the day, we're social beings. We want we also we want to be reassured by something. And I don't think AI has the capability to tell you you're doing good. You're Mm. doing great, sweetie. You can't do that yet. Um, When it can do that, then we're all done. Because then yeah. I'll to give me yeah. my positive affirmations that I've always wanted. Um, but um, moving on, I think we'll move on to Mike. Um, how has your June been? My June been's been been good. Uh, been busy. Didn't have anything in for June, Mag. But um, yeah. I wanted to bring up a piece by uh, Amanda, if I yes. may. Um, obviously yeah. pension. So. Yeah, Amanda wrote a really interesting piece about um, can pension saving be compatible with retirement saving? Mm. Um, and it, it it sort of drew kind of my eye for a number of reasons. Number one, it's pensions. But but number two, you know, in, in the UK, and as Amanda's piece sort of makes clear that a kind of key part of the assumption in the UK pension system is people will own their own place by the time they come to retire. Mm. But but with kind of some trends and the cost of living and stuff, the um, you know it's been been a known uh, you know a fact I think statistically that the that the number of that home ownership has been you know de- declining you mm-hmm. know for a while. Uh, number one and number two, the average age of home homeowners has been going up. So, and when you take the fact that you know with the pension freedoms that 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 has put the responsibility of a retirement from the state to the individual. Mm. You know, you've you've got a bit of a a bit of an interesting problem, and Amanda's just piece just looks at how it might be 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 solved. Um, and you know, in in Europe, um, she talks about Germany and Switzerland, particularly Germany. You know, renting the percentage of renting is higher, yeah, uh, than here, and the culture is different. But but you have stronger um, uh, 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 kind of more affordable rents. You have stronger, I think, tenant rights, mm-hmm. and also. They they mandate that uh, that Germans have to pay more into the state pension as mm-hmm. a percentage of their their tax. So so that's the way they get get around it. Um, not a perfect system, but kind of Amanda was exploring how possible that is in, in the UK, and it's and it's just really kind of quite you know just quite interesting. Um, yeah. And 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 something like kind of culturally and financially, it's 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 a very different. What I take from it that Germany, that sort of the whole approach to kind of property and whether you own it or not is is just very very different. Yeah. Um, and plus, like Germans are told to, you know, save more into their state pension, and mm-hmm. you know, in our culture, we're a bit more. I think it's very we're a bit more always been a bit more individualistic. Like we don't like being told what to do <laughs> so much. That's true. So, so that that's kind of quite quite an interesting sort of so. So if it was to change here, it, it would have to change not just financially, but 
but kind of maybe a bit psychologically as well. So that was quite interesting. I always found um, uh, when I, when I was in Korea, I found one aspect of like there they have a high rental market as well. Um, most people rent there, and um, I found it interesting that like the deposit that you pay to your landlord, your landlord is legally not allowed to use that deposit for anything. What they have to do is put it into investments on behalf of their tenant. And then once their tenant leaves, I think the tenant will get their deposit back. And then the, I think the landlord gets whatever um, accumulated from that. Like that's their the payment. Kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I thought like that could be also an interesting thing um, that could also work towards, you know, helping for your retirement. Cause when you're putting in a, it's called a key deposit. So it's quite a substantial amount it's like half the year's rent, basically. Um, so yeah, that could be that probably really encourages people to stay in with that landlord for a long time, then if they quite yeah, that's too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 or encourages the landlord to keep them exactly, yeah, exactly, and make more yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. The whole point of investment is it is long term, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I, I think it's like a beneficial thing on both ends. Um, but uh, yeah. Because I don't know when I'm going to... Honestly, I don't know where I'm going to settle. That's the only thing. No, thing. <laughs> Next year, I might be in Guatemala. Who knows? Um, <laughs> um, okay, but let's uh, move forward to our July-August issue. Um, who is writing the cover feature for this one? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Mike, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. You seem quite like overwhelmed by the idea of writing a cover feature. Yeah, no, I wrote the cover. F- yeah, yeah, no. It was, it, it like, was, how long it, has it been since you've written the cover feature? Yeah, good question. Well, I think it was maybe actually last October. Uh, yeah. I wrote last, and it was on the similar <laughs> on Cyberism. No, um, yeah, I wrote the the cover feature for uh, July about cyber. Um, looking at sort of how um, prepared sort of financial advisors are for how good their cybersecurity is. Mm-hmm. And through through uh, writing that, I discovered um, that uh, uh, I think there's a tendency for the bigger firms to be better prepared than the smaller ones. I think that's mm-hmm. quite interesting. And I also discovered that my personal cybersecurity could be quite, quite, quite a lot better. I was uh, going to say, as the least... Not that you're not tech savvy, but you're the least. Oh, oh I'm, I'm on the. You don't end love the tech technology savvy. that much. No, <laughs> no, I like it when it works. I, I, I like it when I can get into things. Uh, yeah. And I like it when I remember my passwords. Um, <laughs> it has its uses. Yeah. Has its uses. Yeah. But I'm, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a tool. I'm, I'm, I've never been a tech, tech, massive tech kind of guru or tech, tech whiz. Um, uh, but but yeah no it was just interesting how the the point that was made to me was that uh, other areas of you know the UK whether it be the NHS or um, who, who were some of the big ones whether it be the the the, the NHS or uh, various institutions have been been or British Airways have been hacked over the years yeah and it's just just a matter of time before a big advice firm um, yeah. Happens to a big advice firm, and recently, for some reason, there have been quite a few big hacks in Canada um, yeah. of some sort of mutual fund providers and some some big names like Frank Franklin Templeton over in Canada, and um, uh, Ian McKenna um, was just you know he travels to 
to Canada and the States a lot, says that in the States, they're much more on it. Mm -hmm. uh, at least um, the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, recently passed a, a law which mandates advisors to not only, uh, you know, take responsibility for their own cybersecurity, but that of third parties. And what was uh, uh, very salient in the examples of the hacks in Canada was that the hack came from uh, through a third party provider company that these okay. financial businesses were using. Oh, so uh, they piggybacked. Yeah, and, and, into and got their into server yeah because because ah. they were using. So there was this thing called Go Anywhere, which is like a, a tool I think based mm -hmm. in the cloud, and. Um, uh, it's sort of like a data, data tool. And then there was this uh, digital data company which was using Go Anywhere to, to sort of do all the documents for okay. the for the for the um like Canadian uh financial services firms. So mm -hmm. it was so it was like hackers compromised um go anywhere tool which is being used by a third, you know, third party uh, so it was like, like a Trojan uh, horse processor. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, there you go. You know, you know better than 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 me. Although I think many of the ransom ransomware actually, but anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but if you wanted to find out, read the cover. But um that was just quite quite interesting. And Ian was saying that that um yeah. you know that uh, the, the FCA it would be it would be wise if the FCA kind of did follow the SEC. Um, because the F FCA is quite sort of tech savvy as far as regulators go in other ways, but it, it, this is maybe an area which it shouldn't be overlooking. So, so yeah. yeah. To be fair, if I was a cyber hacker and I wanted to steal a lot of money, I would definitely target a big financial advice firm because they have a lot of people with a lot of money that I could steal. I'm not going to do that, though, just to be clear. Yeah. I think because they want money quickly, normally they try and go for like hospitals because if they hold a hospital hostage, they're more likely to get money. Whereas I feel like, like you said, um, like financial services companies, especially the bigger ones, they have a lot of money, which means that they have like a big cybersecurity team. Like I have a cousin in South Africa who works for a bank. I think it might be Investec or something. Um, and she works in their cybersecurity division and there's like a whole team of them um, because they have the funds to invest in that. Whereas I feel like, for example, the NHS is in like, yeah. not that I'm saying right. that their cybersecurity is not going to be great, but I feel like they're not going to have like the top graduates who know exactly what is out there. Um Ian told me this amazing story. I should have included it in the cover, but I didn't. But there's an urban legend. I don't know if it's true, but apparently there was an advice firm once which uh -huh. hired, hired a cleaner. And the cleaner was found to be reading like like client statements or like suitability reports. And when they were asked about it, the cleaner said, oh, I'm just I'm just trying to improve my English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's so, so that's amazing. So that's, that's an amazing. I don't know if that's true. That's an amazing urban legend story. So, <laughs> so I just love that. I just laugh. So just... If if you know you take the office after hours and you see a you know cleaner, like <laughs> and so to set up a cleaning service company, you know target and an advice firm, and then if there are any loose documents, you know which is it sounds like, but it, but it sounds like a way in there, like it would be yeah, through yeah. the cleaning. So yeah, yeah. oh, I'm just improving. I'm just uh, you know my my English. So so we're giving so. people bad ideas now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Me a call, you know. There was someone, um, this guy I went to school with, and he was at my 18th birthday party, and he got um, 
put in prison for I don't know what the credit card company was, but he hacked into it and committed credit card fraud and stole millions of pounds. Oh, millions. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. You just have these things though, like literally someone's in their bedroom. You yeah, know, like they're, they're just in their guy, bedroom yeah. or like the garage. And he was like the person like... you least expect as a criminal. <laughs> Definitely. It was so wow. weird. Why he must he have got absolutely torn apart in prison. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's sad. I would take those millions and just run to a country that I can't be extradited from. <laughs> but oh, you've thought about this, Kim. That's oh yeah, I have. I have several <laughs> ten several backup <laughs> options. <laughs> Every possibility I have a plan for. Um, but Maria, what do you have um that's coming up in July that you're you want to highlight? Um, well, nothing for myself, but we've got um some good comment pieces in next month. I won't give too much away, but uh, mm-hmm. Chris Bud, he's a new columnist for us, so he's doing a regular piece. Um, so I believe his first piece will be in that in that magazine. Um, and then Andy Hart from Humans Under Management. Actually, a few weeks ago, they had a little bit of a uh, online uh spat through their through their individual columns on our site so uh, wow. they've got some interesting points so yeah i've put them next to each other and uh, they're not actually <laughs> arguing this time but <laughs> yeah both both uh strong opinions and really good writers so they'll be good um shelly mccarthy from informed choices doing a piece about whether um clients should invest or, or pay off their mortgage at the mm. moment which is kind of an age-old question um but i think I think might be um, the answer to that. Is it, has, it has been changing quite a lot recently. Um, mm-hmm. So that's interesting. And I think as financial advisors, not particularly mortgage advisors, it would be hard for them to admit that perhaps it's time to look at the mortgage side of things instead of investing. But an interesting piece nonetheless. Um, and there's some great pieces by Amanda, as always. But um, yeah, I'll let you read it. Yeah. Um, and what about you, Momadou? Is there anything you want to highlight for July? Yes, that's correct. I mean, I did the uh, Money Market Emits. Uh-huh. Yeah, with Aviva's um, um, UK Life CEO, Doug Brown. Yeah. Um, well, he says a lot about his life. Um, I mean, his journey, you know, from Canada, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from Winnipeg. That's where he, I mean, he came from. Yeah, from Winnipeg and, uh, and his career journey from Canada Life. AIG uh, and now to Aviva, you know. So yeah, so we have a very interesting conversation, and I'll say uh, read it in, the, <laughs> in the July. July. That's going to be our tagline from now on. Read it. <laughs> just read it. Sure. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. read. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good chat. Good chat with him. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Nice guy. Yeah. Um, and what about you, Darius? What do you have coming up in July that you're excited about? Um, what as in, as in a magazine story, Kim, or magazine or something that you're looking life. into online? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? What are you going on holiday? <laughs> um, I, 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 I am actually, but that's not really that relevant. But yeah, um, I, I, I do, <laughs> I do have, um, I've got some, uh, so I've got some good meetings lined up that I'm sort of, uh, uh, looking forward to. Uh, I think with, uh, um, with Castlefields, um, where I'll be talking to a, um, a fund manager and an advisor, and I think that'd be from the same company. I think that'd be um, that'd be quite interesting as well to see how the you know, relationship is between those two. Obviously, work for the same company, but you know how it's uh, 
there you know the overlap when you get, yeah when working and yeah, talking to people and also I'm pretty sure Castle Fields were uh, with the Money Marketing Awards they were named as a I think it was an ESG provider I think is the finest in that category mm-hmm. I can't quite remember but yeah they they they, they did get a uh, they've been shortlisted in one, in, in one of our categories. So, yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, seeing the relationship between those uh, those two. Yeah. Oh, and it'll be your first time um, chairing some of our money marketing awards panels. What do we call it? Yeah. Um, yeah. For the yeah, shortlist. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's what we'll be covering. Most of uh, the entire editorial team will be getting bogged down with money marketing awards stuff. So that's exciting. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And if you haven't and you want to book a table now, and also we have Money Marketing Interactive London coming up. So make sure to book your tickets because the team has been hard at work, making sure that the sessions are all up to date and fun and interesting. So I would definitely say get your ticket now if you haven't done so already. Um, but that's my plug. Also get the magazine, subscribe to the magazine if you haven't. Um, end of plug. So and now professional, on. Kim. Thank you. Um, and we'll wrap up with Lois. So um, what is there that you want to highlight for July? Uh, before I do, can I... Mm-hmm plug myself and say yeah. that I won an award mm. in June. Of course. That's exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> I won Next Gen Planners Financial Journalist of the Year Award, which I was very surprised about because I was up against some very, very good journalists that I was but very were excited they to as, win. Like they didn't put in as much as work as you did in the last year. Well obviously year. no one's as good as I am, but you until were now no one recognized <laughs> that. So <laughs> You were getting all the exclusive, all the news. I don't know what the other people are doing. Exactly. I don't even Nothing. know the other Sitting people. There. I've never heard of them. <laughs> no, they were very well, good as well. But um, I was really excited to win. It was really nice. Congratulations. Even Congrats. if we did all go out after the awards ceremony. And one of the advisors, who I won't name because I don't want to embarrass him, I thought he'd lost my award at the bar. Oh, dear. <laughs> but luckily, Dan from NextGen saved it. So. Thank oh, you, Dad. <laughs> why you were you not holding on to your award, Lois? I tried. He was like, no, I'm looking after this for you. It's like, <laughs> oh, clearly, okay. not very well. <laughs> so in future, don't trust this person. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know who he is, but don't yeah. trust him. Um, anyway, yeah, no, it was really fun. It was a very fun night. Anyway, but for the July issue, I wrote or, yeah, worked on the In Focus feature Um, on ESG. So I looked into ESG ratings and whether advisors should use them. They're a fairly new thing still, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, ESG is rising up the agenda for advisors. So yeah, um, I I did a podcast interview with a guy called Lee Coates, who you might know um, from ESG Accord, but he's also he's he's been in the the sort of ESG and responsible investing space for a long time. Um, I think he launched a, a specialist ESG um advice firm way before ESG was as sort of well known as it is now. So he's been in the space for a long time. But he was talking about ESG ratings. And it's quite interesting because if you I think most people would assume an ESG ratings agency would rate funds or companies based on their impact on the environment. 
but it's actually like a, a minefield, the space, because some of them rate like ESG regulations impact on companies mm-hmm. or like climate change's impact on companies and other ones rate companies or funds impact on the environment. So um, it's also obviously quite subjective unless you're literally measure- measuring something like carbon emissions from a company, that's like a, that's an objective fact. So you can sort of compare those, but quite a lot of ESG especially like the social stuff is quite subjective. So it's basically just a group of people in a room deciding, like putting a number on how good they think a company or a fund is socially. Mm-hmm. And so unless the advisor like gets the minutes of the meeting, Lee was saying this on the podcast I did with him. So you should definitely listen to that. It was really interesting. He says it a lot better than I'm saying it now. <laughs> but unless the advisor like goes and gets the minutes of the meeting and knows exactly how that ratings agency has rated different funds and goes through it all with their client, um, which is a very long, laborious process. Um, Lee said, maybe steer clear of ESG ratings or like use them as a sort of baseline, but don't rely on them and assume that because a fund has got a really good ESG rating, it's really good ESG mm-hmm. fund. So yeah, it was an interesting one. And you should read it because I don't want to say any more than this. <laughs> I feel like your um, financial advice is Greta Thunberg. I take that as a compliment. Thank it you. It is a compliment because you're like <laughs> you're like waving the flag for like the environment and making people more aware of these things. So yeah. I think that's a positive thing. Yes, it's definitely. only people like I don't know Trump and Andrew Tate who have beef with her. Yeah, well, I'm glad you didn't say I was like the financial advice sector's Trump. That would have been yeah, that would be worst thing to ever be said about me. <laughs> You'll be indicted in a couple of years. Uh-huh. Uh, um, anyway, yeah, it was it was a good. Sorry, can I just say one more thing? Yeah, yeah. I also I wrote a leader as well on financial psychology, which. I really love psychology. I think it's really interesting. I did it for A-level, as I say, in my leader. It was sort of between that and English literature, um, Mm -hmm. but I chose English literature for uni. But um, yeah, it was very close with psychology. And so before I joined money marketing, I didn't really consider that financial psychology was a thing, but it's a really interesting area. And yeah, advisors would say, well, of course, we look at why our clients behave the way they do. But if you really dig into it... um, yeah, it's, it's very – I really need to find alternatives to the word interesting. Someone help me out here. Fascinating. <laughs> fascinating. It's a fascinating intriguing. area, financial psychology. Yeah. And so you should definitely read my leader as well. If you're only going to read two things from the July issue, make it my leader and my in focus. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Skip right over Mike's feature. Wow. Exactly. Mike's okay. cover, my MM and, myth. and MM meets. MM myth. Okay. <laughs> But I'm not arrogant. I'm very humble. <laughs> this is how this is how she won financial journalists. Plug yourself like this. <laughs> I tried to be humble, but it hurts to pretend. That's bad. It's a, a lyric for you there. Anyway, sorry, I'm done. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I've really enjoyed talking to you guys as always. And um, yeah, I hope to speak to you uh later on in the month of July, uh, as we look into what we have to look forward to in August and probably for the rest of the year. So yeah, thank you for joining me today, guys. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Yeah, thanks, Kim. Thank you.